this was something that I was supposed to preach last week, uh, but just due to the weather, we made a slight adjustment. We decided, all right, we're going to dismiss early and we're going to meet early. So I, I preached a more of a shorter message today, but I'm excited for this one because this is getting into a part of John that's honestly, it's kind of a little hard to chew on, uh, but it is, it, the truth in it is good. And uh, Victoria, a couple weeks ago, we had a conversation. Uh, she will sometimes listen to different books of the Bible on this like Spotify playlist that does them as like almost like a spoken word style thing. And she went through the book of John and she calls me, she's like, man, you picked a really hard book to preach from. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? And then we started walking through different things on the internet. And I'm like, whew, okay, yeah, you're right. Because sometimes when you're reading it, like you don't, it just doesn't click with you how, how uh, hard some of these things can be to digest until you start teaching it. <laughs> and then that's when it becomes more apparent. So we are going to get into some things that might be a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit harder to chew on. Maybe not so much today, but next week. But uh, the truth in it is so good and rich. So instead of going through the rest of John 6 like I was originally planning on, we're going to break this down a little bit further so that we can really enjoy and marinate on this a little bit more. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 22 through uh, 40 this morning. John chapter 6 verses 22 through 40 says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten in the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you, you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that gives, a, a, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. Do you believe in him whom he has sent? So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks 
on the Son and believes in him shall, ne- shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Will you pray with me this morning as we, as we dive into this? Father, we are so grateful for you. We are grateful for your love. We are grateful for your Son who is the bread of life. God, I pray that this morning that you would help us as we dive into this text. God, I pray that you would help us to understand and and know what it is that we are to draw from this. God, I pray that we would not work for food that perishes, but God, for the food that endures to eternal life. God, that we would not waste our lives. God, I pray that we would seek you out as the bread of life, God, that brings nourishment to our souls. Father, that that we wouldn't turn to things that are constantly perishing or are unfulfilling, but God, that we would seek you out as the one who truly brings us nourishment. So Father, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for who you are. And your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we've got really two main points that I want us to focus on this morning. And the first is this is that we are to seek eternal satisfaction and to not waste our lives. If you're a note taker, we are to seek eternal satisfaction and not to waste our lives. John 22 through 27 really focuses a lot on this idea of not wasting our life as many of the people that were seeking Jesus out seem to be doing. So this is the crowd from the feeding of the 5,000, and they're still in pursuit of Jesus. They've been fed, and they want to eat again. They're not seeking Jesus out for truth. They're not seeking Jesus, Jesus out for a sign until he says something. Instead, they're seeking Jesus because they're hungry, and they want to eat again, just like they did before. So they found Jesus, and they were unsure how he got there. They saw the disciples enter the boat, but they never saw Jesus do it. So I love the way that Jesus doesn't answer their question. (laughs) He doesn't actually give them a response as to how he got to the other side. What we know is Jesus walked on water, met the disciples out there, and got on the boat with them, and then they ended up on the other side. So they had no idea how Jesus got there, but he draws their focus into what they should be focusing on, their motivation for pursuing him. He tells them that they were seeking himself for the wrong reasons. They were fed and they wanted to eat again. They didn't seek Jesus out for a sign or have a desire to know him. Rather, they just wanted something tangible. They just wanted to eat again. And then Jesus tells them this to not work for the food that perishes, but instead work for food that endures to eternal life. And now this may seem a little strange, to see something like that in this text, what does Jesus mean by that? Because we've got to eat, we've got to have food and nourishment to survive in our bodies. What does he mean? Well, the first thing is, we don't really have food that lasts forever. So it can't be real tangible food. Yeah, sure, Twinkies may last the apocalypse, but they're still not going to be as good as when they first, you know, started. You can try to preserve food all you want, but there's only so much that you can do. Food does not last forever. At least real food doesn't last forever. I'm sure some of y'all have seen those videos or pictures of like someone who's left a McDonald's cheeseburger out in a 
in a in like a car or something for like 20 years and then it still looks like it did when they first bought it but real food doesn't last forever however what Jesus is talking about is not actual food that you eat and consume but rather he's talking about food that endures to eternal life things that satisfy not the nourishment of their body but the nourishment of their soul the things they need and so when we think about it in today's sense, there are so many people that live and work only one day to retire and sit on a beach. There are people that work day in and day out for physical satisfaction on earth. They work day in and day out. They work 60, 70 hour weeks. They do so many things in their life just to get to a point where they're able to get food on the table and pleasures as they get older but the problem with that is that stuff perishes it falls away we 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 live in this society and this culture that that wants you to buy more and more stuff but that stuff gets old and obsolete and becomes useless jesus is trying to encourage us to not waste our lives pursuing only things that perish Yes, you have a responsibility to put food on the table. Yes, like you have a responsibility to take care of your body, to take care of others for sure. But don't let your main focus in life pursuing things that ultimately, eternally don't matter. I, I love, I, I don't ever, ever do this, but I'm going to this morning because I love this portion of this sermon so much. I don't know how many of you are familiar with John Piper, but John Piper gave a sermon to a large group of college students in the year 2000. It was at a passion conference. And there's a portion of this sermon that inspired a generation of future leaders to live differently. This eventually led to a book that he, he wrote called Don't Waste Your Life. I normally do not spend a lot of time quoting somebody else in a sermon, but the words that he used to motivate this generation was so powerful and so applicable to what we're reading, I just felt like, I just need to read it to you this morning. So these are not my words. These are, these are his that I'm about to read. But here's a little preface for you to know. This happened in the year 2000. And since then, many of these college students who are there have, have become pastors, missionaries, leaders. Some of them have become authors. Some of them have become professors. And even just in my own seminary that I attended, I can't tell you how many of my professors in their books have referenced this sermon as one that they heard that helped to motivate them to live differently. I'm so thankful that the Lord used something like that to change and motivate a generation to pursue eternal food. So let me start reading, for, reading it here now. And he says this, but I know not everyone in this crowd wants their life to make a difference. There are hundreds of you. You don't care whether you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. If people would just like you, you'd be satisfied. Or you could have a good job with a good wife and a couple of good kids and a nice car, long weekends and a few good friends, a fun retirement, and a quick and easy death and no hell. If you could have that, you'd be satisfied even without God. That is a tragedy in the making. Three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. 
Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes gave way on their car, and over the cliff they go, and they're gone, killed instantly. And I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision, spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ? Two decades after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw away their lives on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. No, that's not a tragedy. That's a glory. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler playing softball and collecting shells. That's a tragedy. The people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream, the American dream, a nice heart, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells is the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account for what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a nice swing and look at my boat. And then he says this to end that portion off. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. John, was, John had this opportunity to plead with these college students to not buy into this American dream. To not waste their lives on the food that perishes. Now, let me say something. It is not wrong for you to provide the things needed for your family. It is not wrong for you to work for a retirement. That is not sinful. You are doing well to be a steward of what God has given you and to ensure that you can care for yourself and care for others as you get older. Those are good things to do. Listen, I'm, I'm going to be 30 next month, and that's one thing that has been on my mind a lot is my retirement. What am I doing? Like, <laughs> when I started way too late. Praise God I started not, or a few years ago, but man, I wish I would have started earlier. Because you see all the statistics on how much time goes by and how much that changes. It's things that you think of. There's some people that may not have a retirement or people whose retirement that doesn't look the same, but whatever the case may be, our main pursuit in life, our main drive should not be simply to work to sit around and do nothing with eternal consequence. Our main pursuit in life, the things that we strive for, the things that we do, should not be focused only on the things that we get on this earth. Your job will replace you. It may take a little bit depending on your job, but you're expendable. One day, you won't be here on this earth. One day, you'll become a memory to some people. It may take a long time, but eventually it happens. There are people that lived on this earth 100, 200 years ago, and we only remember the ones that were in history books or had stories about them. But there was a lot of people that did a lot of good. But what we do for the kingdom never fades. What we do for the kingdom, for the glory of God, is everlasting. What we do in pursuit of laying up treasures in heaven lasts forever. And I think the problem with a lot of us, and listen, I'm in this boat too, is that we focus so much on how 
Do we build up our treasures here on earth? We forget about the treasures we're meant to store in heaven. So is it wrong to have a job? No. Is it wrong to have retirement? No. Is it wrong to go on cruises and enjoy your retirement? No, it's not. But I beg you, wherever you are, whatever you do, don't allow your main focus in life to be about you and what you want. Let it be in service of things that have eternal consequence. Loving God and loving others. Don't waste your life. Whether you have decades or whether you have years, it's never too late to use the time you have in pursuit of God's kingdom in prayer and helping in any way that you can and serving, being present, making the love of God known to others. So the second thing we can learn from this, from this is this, is that Jesus is the true bread that satisfies the deepest hunger of our souls. Jesus is the true bread that satisfies the deepest hungers of our souls. This comes from 28 and 40. And so with that, the crowd then asks Jesus, how do they go about doing this? How do they work for the food that leads to eternal life? And Jesus tells them they're to believe in him. That's it. <laughs> That's how they work for the food of eternal life. And now this seems counter to our culture, right? Because nothing is free. <laughs> Everything in our culture has to be earned. There are very few things that are actually free in our world. In fact, um, I recently discovered that most fast food places don't give you free water anymore. You still got to pay for it. Now, it kind of depends on where you go because some places just don't care. But at most places, they have to account for paper costs. So they, they charge you even just 10 cents. But very few things are free. Maybe some of you that have Sam's Club memberships that you go and you're like, oh yeah, well, the samples are free. No, it's not. You paid for that with your membership. Very few things are free. And in our world, there's a lot of things that we have to earn. And I mean, maybe even for some relationships, we feel like we have to earn that love or earn, earn that respect or earn whatever is given to us. But Jesus, he doesn't give us a salvation that is earned. He gives us a salvation that's free. It's given by grace, by the mercy of God. And we respond in faith. Maybe, maybe we brag on how much we give or how often we serve the church or how many people we serve. Maybe we think that to work for food that turns to eternal, eternal life, we don't turn to Jesus. We turn to our good works. We turn to our deeds. We say things like, oh, well, I've given the church this much money or, oh, I've, I've served in the church for this long or I do this and I do that. But listen, at the end of the day, those things don't admit you into heaven. It is only by the grace of God through His Son Jesus that you get to have eternal life. Salvation is given. It is not earned. But then we get to verse 30. They ask Jesus to, to, to perform another sign so that they may believe. Look at verse 30 with me. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Man, that how, how, how bold do they have to be? Did they just ignore what Jesus did like the day before with the feeding of the 5,000? Remember, this crowd was there when Jesus fed 15,000 plus people. They were there when Jesus turned a little boy's lunch into enough to feed the entire capacity of Bud Walton Arena. Yet they have the audacity to ask for another sign? Come on. Like, I read that and I'm like, are you serious? Like, 
Like that Jesus already did that. Like how do you get how do you get bigger than feeding over 15,000 people with a little boy's lunch other than raising someone from the dead which Jesus will do later on in John. See Jesus showed them this incredible sign yet they still didn't believe. They had all the evidence they needed and they still didn't believe. And then they referenced the manna given to the Israelites after Egypt, yet they missed the point of that. See, they were focused on the fact that Moses gave that to them, but it wasn't Moses. It was God. It was not Moses who provided their needs. It wasn't Moses that sent the plagues. It wasn't Moses that, that initiated all the things that he had to do in the heart of Pharaoh and the heart of others to bring the Israelites out. It was all God. God used Moses. Yes, Moses was obedient and he was a servant in that and was used as someone who helped make that happen, absolutely. But it was God who did those things. And then Jesus did, gives this awesome and incredible declaration that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Like, the, like God the Father sent manna to the Israelites, God the Father sent Jesus so that we would be nourished. Not physically, but spiritually. God provided manna in the desert for the Israelites so they would be fed and sustained. And God provides Jesus so that we would be fed and sustained. Jesus is the bread that satisfies our spiritual hunger. We long to satisfy the hunger of our souls. Maybe we pursue things in our life and in our world that helps to satisfy this emptiness in our hearts. But nothing can truly satisfy Jesus can. I've talked to people that have struggled with addiction and have struggled with things in their life that they thought would bring them fulfillment and bring them joy, but everything comes up empty at some point. That's why you read about all these people in Hollywood and these famous athletes and, and stars that have everything that they could potentially want and they feel like they have no need for God, but they still struggle. They struggle with depression and anxiety and they long for something real. See, we were made to long for God. And Jesus can satisfy that hunger in our hearts. No amount of money, good deeds, worldly pleasures, knowledge, wisdom, or experiences can ever give us what our souls need. And that's satisfaction in Jesus. If it, this isn't really the first time that we've seen something like this. Think about the woman at the well. Right, when we look at the, the story of the woman at the well, this woman who was a social outcast and culturally was, was, was seen as lesser than by everyone else in her community. She goes to this well at a really hot part of the day and Jesus offers her living water that she may never thirst again. Was Jesus talking about a water where she would never have to draw water from the well again? No. He was talking about a water that lasted to eternal life, a water for her soul that would give her satisfaction so that she wouldn't pursue relationship after relationship looking for belonging, but rather she would be satisfied in God. And he's offering the same thing to us here, just using a different medium of bread. It's the same message, but it's one that we all need. We need to trust in Jesus, the one who gives us true satisfaction in our souls. And I love that this, that, that what's wonderful about all this too, and, and I can't emphasize this enough, is that this is something we cannot obtain on our own. This satisfaction, this, 
joy, this salvation is something we cannot get on our own. It's that it is given to us. Jesus tells us that the Father gives those to, gives people to him. This is where in other places in Scripture we see that the work of salvation is not initiated by us, but is initiated by God. He must first work in our hearts. Our hearts are hardened and dark before God because of sin. And it is God who illuminates our eyes and softens our hearts to him. And then he saves us and we respond in faith. And then we are promised that all who truly belong to God will never leave his hand. He continues on with him being the bread of life, talking about how the Father gives those to him and that all who enter will never leave. Once you belong to Jesus, you can never leave his hand. What a wonderful promise from our merciful and wonderful God. And let me end with this psalm this morning as we close and get ready to have our Lord's Supper. Is in Psalm 34, 8, it says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. My hope for you this morning is that you would find eternal satisfaction in God, not in the things of this world, not in your own pursuits, but in him. And don't waste your life pursuing things that eventually will fall away. Spend your life pursuing and being obedient to him. Will you pray with me as we get ready for our Lord's Supper? Father, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for who you are. We are grateful for your son. God, we pray that you would help us to do two things this morning. One, that we wouldn't waste our lives. God, give us wisdom and discernment on, Father, what that looks like, because for a lot of us, it could look different. For some, you may be calling them to the mission field. For some, you may be calling them to, to adjust their attitude and behavior about their job. Or maybe for those in here who are retired and are living, living out the, the, the last age of their life, God, that they would seek to find ways to still serve you and be obedient to you all the way to the end. God, I pray whatever stage we're in, Father, that we would honor you with the way that we live. God, that we would do things in our life with eternal consequence. God, not in pursuit of worldly things or worldly pleasures, God, but rather things that matter to you. God, I thank you for today. God, I'm grateful that you've allowed my voice to carry up at least until this point. God, we are grateful for your son who is the bread of life. And God, I pray that when our souls hunger for something, God, that we wouldn't turn to the things of this world, but God, that we would turn to you to satisfy that hunger. God, I pray you would help us to believe, to trust you, and Father, that you would help to endure us to eternal life. So God, I thank you for today. I pray for this time of invitation and also time of our Lord's Supper. In your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.